I really like that uh, line, that when the night holds on to me, God is holding on. And I really got uh, caught up in that, and then my ear pieces wouldn't let go. So, but that was, uh, that was a strong statement about God and his concern about us. We are uh, in this uh, series uh, where we are talking about what, what the church is supposed to look like, what church is designed to be, what the ways that we interact with each other, the ways that we interact with this world, right? And so we've, we have entitled it 2020 Vision, Vision 2020, a way for us to uh, look at ourselves and make sure the cornerstone is living up to what God has called us to be, who God has called us to be as a body of Christ. Uh, so let's, with that in mind, let's uh, take a moment and, uh, and pray, and then we'll talk. Uh, Father, we, uh, we are grateful that you are always present, always with us, and through the power of your Spirit, you encourage, you rebuke, you guide, you lead, you, you comfort and, and I pray as we uh, gather this, this morning, my prayer is that, that you'll just open our eyes uh, to your word and allow your spirit to just unite us uh, in your wisdom. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I was reading an uh, article from Time Magazine. This article is a, a late 2021 article and it was entitled this, What We Learned About Relationships During the Pandemic. What We Learned About Relationships uh, During the, the Pandemic. What an interesting article, right? The title alone uh, really captured my attention. And so I'm going to share a few of the thoughts from that article for you this morning as we uh, get to talk about radical fellowship. Uh, the Journal of so Social and Personal Relationships did a study on the definition of relationships. And so this whole article is built on this uh, definition of, of relationships. That time plus affection plus togetherness equals relationship. Take a moment to reflect on that. Your time your affection, your togetherness. That equals relationships. Uh, so they, they wanted to know what would happen if you removed time? What would happen if you removed time and togetherness from the equation? And to be honest, as we have gone through the pandemic, this has been subtracted, right? We're not able to spend the time with our friends. We're not able to take this together with our friends, right? So, so what happens when you subtract that? And, and there was a whole list of conversation pieces, but I want to highlight a few. They learned that college students who were in a relationship grew apart when you removed time and togetherness. They learned that people who don't like to video chat <laughs> decided to meet in person anyway. And they learned, this is, this is very interesting, and probably my favorite part, people who lost time and togetherness began to lose their relationships and friendships in real life. 
and began to bond deeper with fictional characters, politicians, and celebrities through social media platforms and streaming services. Now, these folks still maintained a socially distant relationships, but they seemed to feel closer and deeper to politicians, fictional characters, and celebrities. What do you think that that kind of study teaches us about relationships? Is it possible to grow relationships while being physically distant? And how do we maintain healthy relationships as the pandemic is still very present among us? Now, the writer of Hebrews did not have access to Twitter, all right? He didn't have Facebook, he didn't have YouTube, he didn't have FaceTime, and he surely didn't have Zoom. I am pretty sure the writer of Hebrews would have been opposed to Zoom, but that's an opinion. The writer of Hebrews did not respond to a global pandemic. But this section in Hebrews chapter 10 speaks about the subject of relationships. And so I'm going to use the term radical fellowship. It's radical because it goes against societal norms, and it's fellowship because that's a great church word, amen? How do we interact with one another on a deeper level when you add the spiritual component? And so let's begin in Hebrews chapter 10 as we start in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have, been, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now, this is incredibly difficult language to understand. And I'm going to pause here because if you're not Jewish and you did not grow up in a sacrificial-based religion, this may be confusing. In fact, my favorite part about this section is that they call Jesus, and specifically his body, a curtain. That's about as weird as it gets, right? So let me give you an abbreviated explanation. God gave the world strict instructions on how to approach him, that is God, in worship and in sacrifice. In order to atone for sin, a, worship needed, a worshiper needed to bring a sacrifice. And in, in one time a year, one time a year, the high priest the most holy of all the priests, the one that was selected, would go into a room called the Holy of Holies where he would sacrifice for the people. Now there was a curtain that separated the rest of the worship hall with the Holy of Holies. Now the Synoptic Gospels, each of them record 
that that curtain was torn in two miraculously the day Jesus died, the moment Jesus died. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is like that curtain. When his body was torn apart on the cross, that was the curtain that was torn so that we, you and me, who are not high priests, some of us are the furthest thing from a high priest, amen? We're able to enter the holy of holies. We're able to enter into the presence of God. And the writer of Hebrews has taken great time and attention to this miracle, to this mystery, to this amazing truth that the blood of Jesus Christ has made a way. And since we have that confidence, he says, since we're able to enter into the presence of God, since the curtain has been torn in two, what? Let us. <laughs> Let us. He gives us three lettuces. Let's start with the first one, 1022. It says, then let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. And so we begin the three let us statements. The first one is, let us draw near to God in faith. Let us draw near to God in faith. Once again, we have, to, we have to picture the recipients of this letter. The idea of drawing near to God in faith is similar to the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son. You remember this story in Luke chapter 15? The son squanders his father's wealth. He's laying in a pile of pig slop. And he determines that his life was better when he lived with dad. So he comes home with a plan to work for his dad. And maybe then he would have a better living situation. But as he drew near to the father, as he drew near to the father, what did the father do? The father ran out of the house. He sprinted towards his son to draw near to his kid. As he drew near to his father, his father drew near to him, embraced him. And, and here, the Jews, we're, we're thinking about the original recipients of this letter. The Jews have now has to struggle and wrestle with this concept. Because once there was a curtain that divided them. Only the high priest could enter. And now, Jesus and the writer of Hebrews are giving us these very intimate conversations about God embracing us. Think about that. James spoke about it too. James chapter 4 verse 8. Draw near to God. Come. Draw near to God. And he will come near to you. Can you hear the Father's embrace? He's asking you 
to come draw near to him in faith because of what Jesus has done. So the writer of Hebrews says, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because that curtain has been torn, embrace God because he's coming to embrace you as well. And the second lettuce is in 1023. Let us draw fast. Let us hold fast to hope. Let us hang on to hope. Let us cling to hope. Look at what he says in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because he who made that promise, he's faithful. I think foundation of, of who we are is rooted in faith by which we can stand before God. And since faith is the foundation, hope then becomes the confidence that we have to move forward. We can hold fast to hope because God is a God who fulfills his promises. God is thoroughly relied on. And when God makes a promise, that promise, you can be sure, will be kept. One writer said in an article I read that God has taken the initiative to make the promise, and he will fulfill that promise. Let's look at the Old Testament examples, right? The recipients would be thinking about some of the Old Testament examples to which they can cling to hope. You remember the Israelites, right? The Israelites were promised that if they leave Egypt, they will be granted safety and God would lead them to the promised land. Do you remember that? They were slaves in Egypt. Moses promised them the word of God that they would be safe. And you remember that moment when hope was tested. They had been chased by the Egyptians all the way to this giant lake, the sea, the Red Sea. They had been drawn all the way there, and they had two choices. Confidence to move forward because God keeps his promise, or freak out, surrender. And many in that moment, many in that moment said, nope. Let's let them capture us. Let's go back to Egypt. Being a slave is better than being dead. They wanted to freak out and surrender. But Moses cling to faith, listened to God, and God parted the Red Sea, allowing the Israelites to cross safely, and he killed the Egyptians who tried to follow. Moses clung to faith. He held on. He held fast to his hope that the one who makes promises is able to fulfill it. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 17 to 19, so I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, the incomparably great power for all who believe. 
You see, faith is the foundation by which we can stand. And hope gets that foot moving forward, right? All right, let's look at that final lettuce statement. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us consider, let us consider how we can love. All right, so faith is the foundation. Hope is our confidence. And love, that's how we act. That's how we behave. We must behave in love and good deeds. And there are Christians who can make faith their foundation. There are Christians who can make hope their confidence. But some of those Christians, they stop there. Jesus died. He's coming back. Period. Now we wait. No. No. Jesus died. He's coming back. And now we love. Faith, hope, love. Now last week we spent a whole lot of time talking about what it meant to love. I'm not going to make us go through that whole sermon again. But the story doesn't end there. Because in verse 25 we see what the NIV has made a lettuce statement. But in reality it really isn't. Let us not give up meaning together but encourage one another. The writer of Hebrews, and all the more as you see the day approaching, but, but the writer of Hebrews points out, right, that some have, have gotten into the habit of subtracting time and togetherness from their relationships. They love, they have affection, but they've subtracted time and togetherness. Verse 25 is directly connected to verse 24 in the original Greek. Verse 25 is what brings all these parts together in a very practical way. I read this week that you can practice faith and hope alone, but you cannot love alone. And I'd like to challenge that statement because I agree in principle, but we're kind of missing the point of this passage. Because we need one another for faith. It is incredibly hard to have faith just between you and God. We can love alone, but it is our hope alone, but it is hard unless we have one another. And this is why. When you read here in verse 25. The writer of Hebrews says you should encourage each other to stop. You, you don't want to stop meeting. You want to encourage one another, he says. It's a horrible translation of the word. The word here is irritate. You're to pick at them. You're to irritate each other so you don't stop meeting together. See how it's all drawn together? If someone is hurting in faith, they might stop meeting. They might take togetherness away. Irritate them. Irritate them, folks. 
That's radical faith. That's radical love. That's a radical hope. It's radical fellowship. We got to irritate each other. It's like when my kids procrastinate on their homework. What do I do? All right, that's all right. Enjoy your F. Ah, that's not the adult I'm trying to raise. I'm going to irritate them. I'm going to pick at them. I'm going to bother them. Don't give up. All right, time, affection, togetherness. It equals relationships. In a way, the writer of Hebrews is saying that radical fellowship looks this way. When we spend time together, some people have left time and togetherness behind. And we've got to irritate them. We need each other for faith, hope, and love. Radical fellowship means that we need each other for faith, hope, and love. That we don't give up on one another. So let's have a community that irritates one another to remain faithful. Let's have a community that irritates one another, that pushes towards hope. Let's have a community that irritates one another that we could radically love. But we're still in a pandemic. So let me give one final thought. If you're sick, stay home. If you're high risk, stay home. I've got folks who are watching right now who are high risk, and they struggle with not being here. But they're trying their best to be safe and healthy. Because COVID's not only. It's not over. Radical fellowship means that we are creative in times like these. Radical fellowship means that we have to be creative. Find ways that we can have togetherness and time with each other. That means maybe we need to keep better touch of our shut-ins, not just rely on your minister to do that. Maybe it means that we need to help by taking care of those who are sick, bringing them meals, calling, finding ways that you can love. We have to find creative ways to maintain a radical fellowship And most importantly, we can't relax when it comes to relationships. Our church is built on it. Let's have a church that is full of radical fellowship. Let's pray. Father, as I consider your call to us, as I consider the early church the, the, the early apostles whom, whom you groomed. I, I, I think about how I've fallen short. And maybe others here feel the same way. And I, I just pray that you will open our eyes to those opportunities that we, that we can love, that we can have hope and faith, and we can do it together. And Father, we definitely need your spirit to be able to do that because we can't do it alone. And so my final prayer is that you'll just guide and lead us according to your will. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.